Good evening, everyone. Always a pleasure to be here, and uh, nice to see a few new faces. So, welcome, welcome, guys. Um, we are going to continue our journey through this awesome theme of being conformed to the image of the sun uh, this evening. Thanks, Rochelle. Um, and any takers? Can someone remind me what we uh, looked at last week? Not asking for a rundown, just a just a quick memory jog. Genesis, Any, anything more than that? <laughs> what was the key theme that we looked at last week? Fruitfulness, yes. And we looked at the first time that we heard about what it means to be made in the image of Christ, hey? Um, and so, like we were saying last week, there's always something powerful about seeing the first time something is mentioned in Scripture because it provides a platform um, for often what it is that God wants to unravel throughout um, so many other parts of the scriptures. So um, this, this evening we're going to be continuing on this theme and we're going to be moving forward, moving on from Genesis chapter 1 to Genesis chapter 2 this evening. So if you've got your Bible, you can turn to Genesis chapter 2. And in Genesis chapter 1, we, we see the first snapshot um, of you know, God's process of creating, um, creating man, creating woman, and creating everything that we see. And moving into Genesis chapter 2, we see an awesome picture of what it is that man is created for. And so I'm just going to read here in, um, in Genesis chapter 2 from verse 6, and we'll read to verse 24. But a mist used to rise from the earth, and the Lord uh, uh, and water the whole surface of the ground. Then the Lord God formed man of dust of, um, from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. Then God planted a garden towards the east in Eden, and there he placed the man who, whom he had formed. Out of the ground the Lord God caused to grow every tree that is pleasing to the sight and every good uh, and good for food the tree of life also in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil now a river flowed out of eden to water the garden and from there it divided and became four rivers the name of the first is pishon it flows around the whole land of havala where there is gold the gold of that land is good the bedulum the onyx stone are there the name of the second river is Gishon. It flows around the whole land to Cush. The name of the third river is Tigris, and it flows east of Assyria. The fourth river is the Euphrates. Then the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to cultivate it and keep it. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat from it you will surely die. All right, now here's our key passage for the evening. Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. 
Out of the ground the Lord Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the sky and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called the living creatures, that was its name. The man gave names to all the cattle and to the birds of the sky and every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper suitable for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man and he slept. He took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. The Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and shall be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. It's an awesome little passage. And in here we see the, the, first, um, the first snapshot of marriage from God's perspective, but not just any marriage. We see here a, a typology of God's eternal marriage that he had in store for us as his body, um, being betrothed to him as the head. And what I'm keen for us to do this evening is just to unpack what lies behind these powerful verses um, and for us to bring to light what it is that God has had in his mind from the beginning of creation. It wasn't just that he would create a suitable helper for the physical Adam, but he had something in his mind um, for us as the body of Christ to be joined and to become one with Christ as our head. Um, So that's going to be our theme for this evening. Cool? Sweet as. All right. So I think we might start from verse 18, um, and we'll read a couple of these verses, um, and then we'll flow through um, to verse 22. So it says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. Now I think like we said, in my mind, it can be easy to, to read the literal English words and hear that woman was created as a helper for for. Man, and I think while we all might think going into marriage that that would be ideal, you know, <laughs> to have a woman helper to just run around and do your chores, that's actually I think that's actually I think not what God had in mind for creating women. <laughs> all the women are just like, thank goodness. <laughs> Cena could do with a woman helper, yeah. <laughs> All right, we'll get you a maid for your birthday. <laughs> but but, God, but from, from the beginning of creation, God had something much more for the, for the spiritual helper that he was looking to form the body of Christ into. You know? He's always been looking not for someone just to do things for him, but a co-heir, someone who was to be his equal. So I'd be keen to hear from the panel anything that they've, that they've taken from, from verse 8. What, what is God looking for? If we're, if we're thinking about this as a typology between Christ and the church, what is a suitable helper um, that, that God is, is looking for in us as the body? I'm going to kick us off, Sandra. Well, uh, it's really interesting to see that... Am I on? Yep. yep. Um, that suitable um, is... is also corresponding, that's the, you know, the literal thing corresponding 
And, um, and I thought, well, what does corresponding mean? I just looked up the dictionary. <laughs> and it says equivalent in character, form or function, participating in the same relationship, such as kind. Mm. Yeah. So of the same kind. And there's a... There's a while it's so easy just to go to this natural place, but when we see that this whole passage is very clearly quoted in Ephesians 5, it's very clearly um, brought forward as the picture of Christ in, this, in the church, then we start to see it entirely differently. And that um, there's, there's this forming and and even the way this all plays out as to where we actually came from in the first place who initiated that who did the building of us how he presented um, us to Christ to Christ and he draws us to Christ all these things they're parallels all the way through and um, but I think that starting point of being a corresponding kind that we've been made in the image um, because of this plan, this eternal plan that he had before anything happened in Genesis we were before the foundation of the earth um, so that, that's one of the things that um, um, as a starting point um, the, the other thing that the Lord's been talking to me, you know how it says come to me all you who are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. And he, he was t- talking to me about this last week. He, he says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. He didn't say, come and learn from me. So there's something, um, this, this also relates to how we learn, um, that this yoking is, you know how he also says don't be unequally yoked? So the yoking is so much more than um, just walk with me, although it is. There, there's this whole thing of covenant relationship and oneness and surrender and submission and and walking with him. And, you know, we are... Um, Paul talks about a, a fellow um, was he a yoke fellow you know there's there's this co-ear as you as you talked about so so the this yoking and coming into relationship was always in the father's heart for us <clears throat> where are you going it's hard then <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, just a little bit of a communication breakdown on the panel. <laughs> but no, I think that's I think that's massive, eh? and I think you can you can quickly see like the the difference here and the distinction between a helper that just does things for someone, you know. And I think you know, Greg, you shared you know about the different stages, you know, being one, give me, and then use me, you know break me and then make me and I think to me this is it can be easy to, to think about these scriptures as you know Adam needing a helper suitable for him because he was somehow lacking in something and he needed someone 
to come almost like as a crutch and help him because he wasn't capable or he um, was emotionally insecure and needed to, you know. Actually, when you see it in the light that you're sharing about, Sandra, where it actually is like it, it's, it's not that Adam needed someone to make him feel better about himself or that he was lacking. It was that, that when he's to have someone that's corresponding to him is that there's a greater fullness that's found when the two become one. There's a greater expression of who God is that's formed through this oneness than there is the individual. Hey, you know? um, so it's a very different kind of perspective and, and way of seeing things. And I think it's so relevant to us, you know, because I think so often or when, when, when you see the beauty of this, that, that our relationships should have that same value attached to them, you know, that we should add to one another and that our unity demonstrates and radiates who he is as opposed to needing one another because we are lacking in something, you know. Um, and so all of a sudden, instead of needing, we're there to give. And in giving to one another, we demonstrate the, the very character and nature of Christ and a greater fullness that comes when the two have become one. Hey? So. And I think this challenges, what we're talking about tonight challenges the flesh the most. So it challenges who you're going to live for and whether we're prepared to let go of the physical life and enter into the spiritual life, the life that's one with Christ and one another. And so to me, this is the greatest challenge to any human who has flesh within them because it asks so many questions of your willingness to let go of you because you can't bring you with you into this reality. It's understanding that this is the life that you are called for. This is the life that you are predestined for. This is why I created you. And there was an accident along the way where we slipped up and we find ourselves in this counterfeit life that we've brought into being life. And it keeps you out of life. And so this is where the challenge is. And this is why the high priestly prayer of the great apostle was for oneness. It's that you would discover and realize why I gave you life. And then the purpose of that life being outworked in me and through me and by me, that you are not no longer even me, God, and my people, but my people are hidden in me. So the two becoming one starts really between Christ and his church. And so it's to always to be one. It's this mystery. Great is the mystery of godliness that, you know, that God wants to be the very source of your being. He wants to be in you to the place where he is the air you breathe. He is the food. And if he jumped out of your body, you would die. And so he is every aspect of life. He's your provider. He's your protector. He's your food. He's your water. He's your clothing. He's your shelter. He literally is the source of your very being and your life is now hidden in his life where it was before the foundations of the earth. And that's a mystery, what I just said, that can be known through the power of revelation within you. Because I just want to read this in James. It says, in the exercise of God's will, he brought us forth by the word of truth so that we would be a kind of first fruits among his creatures. 
So he was the first fruit. He was the first one out of the resurrected life. And we are to be a representation, a reflection of that first fruit. So we are brand new creatures in Christ. We're to be first fruits. And that's so powerful in an alignment to his will, it says. But the challenge is, is that self can't come on the journey. And so we're right back to lose if you want to find, you've got to lose. If you've found, you've lost. Yeah, for me, all I you know, reading the reason the passage, God just kept speaking to me of of Christ and the church, of and and from this verse here particularly, it's this, this the word suitable and and I think of the likeness of. In the likeness of, so the kind is like the likeness of, and so we're called to be in the likeness of Christ, and Eve was called to be in the likeness of Adam, and so we've got that those, these parallels right the way through. Then he just keeps showing me these parallels, and also I see here, um, you know, we talked about this. This we're talking looking at the fellowship aspect of being in fellowship, because I think, hang on a minute, here's man, and he was created and he was walking with God in the garden and he had God there but God says oh no but you need someone you know so he call he calls for the something extra for him you know and to me that's like okay well what's that about because you know we hear people all the time that are that are walking away from fellowship and they go oh it's just me and God it's just me and God you know I'm all good me and God but there's something about this which is fellowship. Whenever I think of fellowship, I think of this. I think of the interlocking of fingers, this two becoming one. You know, and it's a, just a powerful picture of this, this oneness and this unity, which in this case demonstrates something far greater, as what Greg's touching on. This oneness with, that we're to have with God. But he didn't choose for it to be just in one individual atom but many individuals, and it talks about Christ with the many brethren, the first of many brethren, you know? And there's this beautiful picture. And I, I, you know, something that's been really hit me the other day was Greg was talking about Christ in us, but then us in Christ, you know? And there's there these beautiful pictures that um, God's trying to show right the way through his word of this unity and this oneness and this relation and relational aspect to who he is. Through this, and to me that that's such a an awesome picture. And I just think of Adam and Eve. Oh, sorry, oh, sorry, Rob, I'm back. Adam in the Garden of Eden with God, like Adam and God together in perfect in perfect fellowship. And God says it's not good for him to be alone. Mm. And to me, I'm thinking of you know like. If, if God is our entire source and Adam is in there, he's got undivided attention from God. There's no one else to distract God. You know? <laughs> he's like, it's just the two of them right there together. And God says it's not good for Adam to be alone. Is he not satisfied in God? Is it not enough just for Adam and God together? Do you see what I'm saying? Like, to me, that. So then you have to ask the question, why did, why did God say it's not good for Adam to be alone? Here's a helper that's suitable for him. 
you know? And so all of a sudden you see Adam was entirely fulfilled in fellowship with God, and yet like what Nick is like what Nick's saying, there was something in God's mind that was always bigger than just you and God. Maybe there's a greater expression of God and his glory that comes through a, 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 a fellowship and unity and oneness where two man and woman become one and demonstrate a greater facet of who he is on the earth. And to me, that's what our relationships as a body of Christ should look like, hey, you know, is that we're, we're not, we're, we don't need one another because we're unfulfilled. We need one another because there's a greater dimension of Christ that you express and demonstrate through the two than you do through the one, you know? So God always starts from fullness and not from lack, hey, you know? And I think we can so easily read these scriptures and think, cool, therefore I need a wife or a husband to be fulfilled. And he's actually just not saying that at all. He's saying that actually that regardless of what the physical relationship looks like, whether it's marriage, whether it looks like a relationship with your, your twin brother, with your parents, but primarily with the, body of, with the body of Christ, that actually it's not about your lack that you need one another, it's about a greater fullness that can't be attained to individually. And I think to me this is the great mystery and that, that plays out in, in all of our relationships, eh? that, that we need one another not because we're needy, but because God has an eternal purpose laid out for us that's fulfilled in fellowship with, with each other, hey? Can I just add to that? Um, and also when we look at it from the fellowship aspect, fellowship trumps a marriage. You know, true fellowship trumps earthly marriage. You know, this is just to be a picture of something, but it's not. So you can have um, a marriage which is in fellowship in God, and it can be beautiful, and it, but it trumps the actual just union of the rings and the you know the marriage and this connection whereas the world would say no no hang on a minute you know husband and wife that's that's the top you know that's the most the relationship could be you know god says different <laughs> and i think that david and jonathan found that place yeah. eh? you know it talks about their their togetherness being um so connected in heart you know and people interpret you know take these scriptures anywhere and think that they're gay you know <laughs> But once again, that's what happens when you look at things through the eyes of the flesh, eh? You know, and actually, the, these two men found a place of, of of togetherness that was greater than natural physical marriage. And even like Greg was sharing about today, you know, as David expresses himself and his devotion to God, even his wife was was taken aback by whoa, you know, like who who is this guy? And David says, "I'll become even more undignified than this," you know, like. <laughs> It's like, you ain't seen nothing yet, you know? Um, but because there's something so much greater than just natural physical relationships yep. that's in store for us as the body, eh? And, and this, I guess we hope, would bring to light and to life the importance of why we must all surrender our lives yeah. to become this people group. Because otherwise it's like, you know, we've said this before, but if, if only half the room say yes and the other half say no, then you've got a divided house. Yeah. So we all turn up, but it's a body. So let's say that that half is that half, and this half is top half. Well, that's a weird-looking body that can't function. The flip side of that is, and this is what I love about God, because he's not limited, 
the other half can still come into a full and overflowing life without that half. And that's the interesting dynamics of the mystery is that if we don't play our part, then other people aren't limited by the part we don't play. But what would it be like if everyone played their part and what could we experience? This manifold wisdom being outworked upon the earth where every single person that's in this body is full and overflowing, where there's no lack in any one being, where it's just the resource, which is God. God's paths drip with abundance. He never knows lack. And so as his people, we are to reflect never knowing lack. And that's a journey, isn't it? Because, you know, we come in pretty messed up. I know I did. And then he wants to heal your broken heart. He wants to restore you and grow you into the full stature of the Christ as an individual and as a body. And so there's a duality, which is one posture again. So we keep coming back to this oneness in Christ, which is a mystery, but it's very powerful. But that's actually where, and I'm convicted of this, where the demonic sits to rob And so every time God gives us an opportunity for great oneness, the demonic's sitting there and he's going, nah, 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 don't, don't, don't. Because he understands the power of oneness. Mm. He understands the power of when a people let go of themselves, come into covenant with God and one another, how powerful the church is going to be on the earth. And so be prepared for war. Be prepared for a battle. Be prepared to be challenged. If you go after oneness, he will come and he will turn up your world. So it's going to happen. Go, yep, sweet as. And when he says, if you're a son, say to him, what do you mean if I'm a son? I'm a son. See, fight with the word. Know the word. Which it says, it's the word that brings us into this first fruit. It's not my ability to try and die. It's the word of God. So I devote your life to the word of God, not a book, the person and the person's words. All of a sudden, this oneness becomes this innate outworking that starts to happen in our hearts and our minds. You know, Paul said, make my joy complete by being of the same mind. We are to all think as Christ thought. No more lack. Now, once again, this is time. You know, we are to maintain the same love. See, it's maintain it. We've found it. We've discovered it. So we maintain it. We love one another as Christ loves us. What type of reflection is that to people that don't know love? This is a radical people. This, is a, this, is, this isn't earthlings. This is heavenly beings who live on earth who have the substance of Christ within them, who are growing into this reality. So this is exciting, but this is profoundly mysterious and deep what we're talking about. So it can't be understood in the mind. Okay, don't try to grasp this in your mind, try and figure it out. You've got to maybe go home and say, Holy Spirit, bring to light and to life these words in my spirit so I can see it, so I can live it, so I can play my part in, in the process. That's a paradox right there that you're, you're sharing, eh? You know, between being able to, you know, talking about, you know, if, if this half of the room doesn't play their role, or if someone else doesn't play their role, it actually doesn't hinder you in any way from being able to play yours, you know, when you're in him. And yet, on the flip side, there is a greater fullness that comes when everyone plays their role. Eh? And I think that's what we're gunning for 
as his family, eh, is that everyone would play their role, not just doing things for him, but participating in fellowship with him, you know? Um, and I think that's, to me, it's like, what would a church look like on the earth where every part is is engaged in him, you know? I think um, we've got such an opportunity while we still breathe to become this people, eh, you know? I don't know, I was just thinking of um, demonstrations of this oneness and we've seen at times in services here where you'll experience, you know, Greg was talking earlier about the power of praise, you know, and when everybody is intentionally seeking the Lord and the, and the praise and the worship's going out and the Lord just reveals himself by his presence in the gathering. I remember back at a men's um, camp a number of years ago and we had a powerful time and we had the, our African brothers stomping their feet and chanting and singing and it was this man and everybody just got on board and I, I was amazed because there were people there that I had seen before that were so inhibited in worship that all of a sudden they've got their arms raised in the air and they're praising and singing with all their might and I'm like, wow, something's going on here and God was stirring something and it got to the point where there were more voices in that room than we were in that room. And the host of heaven were singing and, you know, appraising God with us in that place. It was like it was amplified with the, the host of heaven. And this is just a, a small taste of what this sort of oneness, this fellowship, this one mind, one spirit going all out as one after God look, can look like. You know, the, the design is perfect. And so, you know, just as you're reading this, it's like, you know, he just basically told um, Adam what his role was going to be. You know, you don't see Adam going, yeah, let me go pray about that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'll get back to you on that one. You know, it's like, and this is where God's trying to bring us back to. He's trying to get us right back to before the fall in understanding that there was a design, there was a blueprint already established before he even created us. You know, and so we don't get to say what that blueprint is, we just get to live it out. Yeah. And so if we resist it, then we resist the created design, which means there's no life because he created it all and went step back and said, This is really good. And this is life. And this is the challenge for us as fallen beings because we only come into life when we come into the created order because the life is associated with the created design. So if we don't live by design, we don't receive life. He wants us to, but we get in the way of ourselves. And that's what I love about it. Like it's before the fall. You know, I love this last bit. And the man and his woman were both naked and were not ashamed. Okay, so here's this beautiful design, standing before God and there's no shame. Well, the first thing that happened when they fell is shame entered. So we all have an element maybe of shame within us because of the fall that God needs to heal. Okay, and then what did Adam do? He then blamed God. So shame then blames. Okay, so now we start accusing, it's you, it's your problem, you're the one. And see, so there's not a capacity in a person to love on an offence because the person is pointing the finger. And so what we do is we beat each other up. So then you get a whole lot of hurt, offended people in the body because we have this thing still within us that's not dealt to. Yeah. 
and we don't know how to love. So I, I love what Nick was saying, but even the simplest form of loving when someone offends you, mm. never being offended. You know, this is this is this core root where you're not offended by someone else's actions because you're whole, and you see their brokenness because they're only responding out of their brokenness. So you have compassion for a broken state that still hasn't been healed, but you've been healed. Imagine being able to offer that love all the time. Isn't that the love of Christ that we're commanded to love with? So you can minister the love of the Father to a broken world and broken people in the church, out of the church, because you're whole. And you're just coming more and more into this created design because you have the armour on, Christ in you, the hope is on. You put it on once, he's there, you never take him off. And so it's the Christ in you because you're one with Christ. See the formation, being perfected in oneness. This is what it all means. You're perfected in love. You abide in love. So you walk in the exact manner in which he walked, which is to fulfill the law of Christ, which is love. So you love one another as Christ loved. You carry your brother's burdens as Christ carried them, but they're not heavy, but you're able to carry them from a place of love and rest and be Christ-like to your fellow sister. And you walk with until they come into that life. This is how profoundly mysterious but known this can be through revelation upon revelation upon a revelation. Because that was the design. You know, so he's reforming us back to the reality of what was in the garden, which I believe the new heaven and new earth will be like. And that's the helper that's suitable. For her groom, eh? You know, when we talk about who is suitable for Christ, yeah. you know, it's 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 the people of God that live like that. You yeah. know, the people that can love on offense, you know, and the people who who lay down their lives. Is it what is it? No, no greater love has no one than this that he who he who lays down his life for his brothers. You know, and I think to me this. He's, he, he really is looking at for a helper that's suitable, that's corresponding mm. to who he is, you know. And just, just for, a, for a minute, imagine, you know, like what would a helper suitable for Christ look like, mm. you know? It's us. That's, that's, who, that's who we've been chosen before the, before the foundations of the world to be, you know. Oh, just in the picture is marriage. Mm. So that's a co-heir. Mm. So, Daniel, have you, have, you know how God gives us everything in the physical as a foreshadow yep. for the substance? So just take Danielle and I, okay? So we are a couple, but we're individuals. But we're coming together to be one, and we have children. So I'm the head of Danielle. Christ is the head of me. Okay, And so as together we're co-heirs and we're the authority of our home and we have subjects called children under us that we're trying to raise up in love, in the culture of love and all those things. So it's a picture of Christ and his church. So the church is the co-heir. She's to be the bride. She will be the wife of Christ. And in the thousand year reign, she's going to raise up a people for a thousand years with the groom. So she needs to know who she is. She needs to know who he is. She needs to know the roles that she's going to play because Danielle and I play separate roles 
in our marriage covenant. There is a different functioning role. Okay? Now we can both play those roles, but actually there's a design behind those roles. And I discovered this very early on when Madeline was three. So on one day, Madeline hurt herself. I think it was a Saturday. We were both at home, okay? and I'm first on the scene. Madeline runs right past me and goes to mum. Why? Because mum is nurturer. Okay, this is the other half of God. I believe it's part of the picture of Eve. He's showing you who he is through Eve. See, so you're getting to see the mother heart of the father as well as the father because he's protector and also he's nurturer. And so this is the relationship with Dan, Danny and I. Okay, so Madeline runs straight. I'm going, oh yeah, look at that. Okay, cool. Now that very night she has a nightmare. Who does she cry out for? Dad. Protected, dad, 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 in there, sort of cool. And that he t- and the Holy Spirit showed me that moment. Look at that natural design. Now, was Madeline taught that? No. How did she know that? Because it is innately in her, and she knows that reality. Now, does that mean that I'm not a nurturer? No. Because when I'm at home with her on my own, and there's only me, she comes. But she knew natural design. And she can discern it and runs and goes to the appropriate thing. But that doesn't mean we don't live out nurture and Danny can't protect. But there's a natural order to it. And this is what's phenomenal. And when we grasp this and we realize, because this is not just for now, this is for the age to come. Okay, so there's a role to play now and in the age to come. So we need to know our role now because it will determine our role in the future. So if we never discover our role now, then we won't play our role in the future because this is the time now to discover your role and to be your co-heir now. This is why there is a judgment seat because when you stand before him, he's going to go, well, did you know and did you understand and did you lose your life and get on board with being my co-heir? Not loving a brother, not loving a mother, not loving a child, not loving a position, not loving your own life. Falling in love with me. And out of falling in love with me, then loving, and you are part of the family, which is your co heirs. So you are all co heirs, see? Meaning you're now my co heir. Right. Now let's go back on earth and reign for a thousand years and set my, my governmental leadership up here. It sounds like a movie. So you can't grab this in your mind. I didn't grab this in my mind. This has to be shown you in the Spirit. This has to be the Holy Spirit peeling back the layers of what's, con- con- what's found in Christ, because all this is in Christ. And he peels it back, and you're like, he goes, <laughs> and then it reveals it in you. Now you can see it, because I can see her. He showed it to me 10 years ago. I see her now. I could describe her to you. She's beautiful. She wears, she's wearing white suits and white gowns and it's not male or female she is looking that way and she's looking into a corner of a room and the whole room is emanating with this incredible white light and she's transient but she has a figure to her and she's being drawn into this light it's incredible it's so beautiful but the light's coming straight through her and she's just in awe and wonder I can't see any faces all I can see is behind the heads I said he said that's her she is spotless she is blameless she is complete. She has been in my heart before the foundation of the earth. And we're all discovering and trying to walk that out because we've been chosen.
but I don't know and Sandra doesn't know. And so you've got to live this life as if we all are and we're all going to be committed, surrendered and committed to seeing this fulfilled because God has aligned us all here for a particular time in history. It's not an accident that we're all here part of this family called The Rock. It's not. We've been drawn for a particular time to know God and to know his purposes and plans. And so it's, it's way more important than just turning up and I go to church. It's like this, this, is, this is eternal promises. This is the purpose you were given life. You know, create in me a heart of wisdom. Teach me to number my days so a heart of wisdom can be produced so I can live a life of wisdom and not come short of why you gave me life. You'll love me, but I don't want to come short of the fulfillment of the purpose of God for this thing called the church, which we've turned into, you turn up and you get married in it. You've gone so astray. It's you. It's not hunk and mortar and wood and windows that you make pretty. It's you. And you are to be living a kind of first fruits life. You know? And so that's why we need one another. Does anyone have any questions from, from what you've just heard? Yeah, so just for the recording, maybe God saw potential in Adam that he needed a helper. Is that what you're God make yeah. a plant, oh, just God make a plant on the one is better than two. And, and he looks like the, the, the Adam, uh, Adam, obeyed, Adam obeyed God could into the, all the created world. But secondly, um, the man just uh, did it to a lady, the, the woman just make the man, but we just get one couple of one created together, this is a quite amazing kind of plan. Yeah. <coughs> Two becoming one, yeah. Absolutely, you know, that, that's, that's been his heartbeat from the beginning of time, right? Yeah. You know? One is better than two, isn't it? Two is better than, are you saying I'm two? Single. I'm single, I, I need a partner because I, that's it. I still have <laughs> 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 but that—that that is the, that is the the flip side of the coin, yeah. Yeah. isn't it? Right there, because it's like as you continue to read Paul's letters, he talks about actually. Let me warn you. Actually, you know, I'm not saying don't get married, but actually, it comes with all these issues, and so there's a warning now, and yet it's part of. But the marriage is to Christ, okay? So we've got to think it's married to Christ, okay? And so if you're going to enter into this relationship with another, which I've created, sure, but just be aware of a whole lot of things, okay? Because that's also part of the challenge. And when I read, he counsels you not to. He says, I wish you were all like me. You know, he says, don't touch a woman. You know? And yet if you can't control yourself, then get married. You know, so there's these these tensions that we have to walk through in the spirit because one is better than two. <laughs> because my life is hidden in Christ, so it's not God and Greg, it's God. 
you know. And so this is mysteries. This is like like riddles. It's like, well, is it that or that? No, you're trying to hear through your mind. It's like once you get it in the oneness thing, you see it. You go, ah, I see it. I hear it. So I hear it, and I can see it how it works. So it's both, mm. <laughs> but and it's that, one. And that's how you can hear two almost contradictory scriptures that mm. say marriage is a gift from mm. God, yeah. and yet, oh, it's it's better that you don't get married. I, and if you do get married, live as though you're not married. To me, that's the, <laughs> that, that, that's yeah. the, that's the essence of it, right? You know, at, at the end of the day, because you can you cannot you cannot get married but not enter into the fullness of the eternal promise, you know? So at, at the end of the day, people who are married might enter in, but people who are single, even for religious reasons, we've got a whole denomination of people that think that being single means that you're more holy, you know? And actually that's not like, once, once again, that, that's, not, that's not what he's saying, right? You know, He's saying it's, it's not about anything that's natural and physical, it's about something that's much deeper than that in the spirit. Eh? You know? And here's the other challenge. If you are married and God starts to show you this stuff, all hell can break loose in your marriage. <laughs> yep. When the other person doesn't necessarily want a greater reality of what's within God. And so now you find, you find yourself as, well, what do I do now? Because it's all interconnected, you know. Hence this yoking together thing. It's like, wow, so the purpose, one of the purposes of this covenant between a male and a female is for the purification, the spotless and the blameless transformation of the bride. Not the fact that we can have kids and not have sex outside marriage and all those things. It's actually going to be for my own purification, my own transformation. What better plan to put someone with me who's not like me at all? who's way more emotional, way more this, and I'm way more that, and then go, right, let's have a look and see how they get on. And we'll see if love is formed in the pair of them. Mm. Because ultimately, if both eyes are not fixed on Christ, it's a marriage destined to doom. Mm. You will tear one another apart. You may stay married, technically, Mm. but you'll have a horrible marriage. And that's not the point. And so it's like, fix your eyes on me. So if you are married here tonight, and if you're not married, your eyes should never lose and be taken off here. Because that's where he is. He says, set your mind on the things above where Christ is seated in the heavenly places. So then you can live your life here based on what you're looking at here. Never look to a person for your resource, even though... Okay, and this is this tension again of needing one another, but wanting the Christ in the person, not necessarily the person. So I need the Christ in you when I look down. So it's Christ, Christ. And this is paradox. It's two and one. Now we're not to be unequally yoked. I'm not actually supposed to be yoked to Anne. I'm to be yoked to Christ. And Anne's not supposed to be yoked to me. She's supposed to be yoked to Christ. And so when we're yoked together, we're yoked to Christ together. Very good. Which is a picture of oneness. And here's where this whole, and I love what you're saying before about the, the, the greater picture of love is that I'm actually not offended. In fact, the offense is not actually mine. It turns out the offense actually is yours. Because my, my knowledge of 
of my father and who I am in him has me so secure I walk in in truth I walk in love of which you're actually offended my knowledge and my love of God you're actually offended by that so you're attacking me because of your state and that's that's the the fullness of the armor that's now at work within me because I'm no longer trying to out of his love, fix the wound you just inflicted on me so that I can now actually try and love you back. As the armour of God actually functions that the offence never takes in me and it allows me to love you because of the offence you have. And this is playing out on so many levels, eh? Because this dynamic is happening in marriage and then he brings it in into this context and says, maybe I'll just put an apostle, a prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher all in a body together. And as if you had enough challenges in your marriage to try and work out how to be one with your wife and your kids, now you come here and have to contend with an entirely different (laughs) dynamic. We get put with people like this. And people like this. <laughs> Excuse me, I'm the one losing the hair. <laughs> I'm starting to board on top. <laughs> but and but and yet, there's something so profound that's being outworked. You know, that how can five different gifts that are that are given by God, you know, just like the husband and wife are given by, by God, how can, how can the five that are so dynamically different in their expression, yet just like a husband and wife, the divine intention before creation was not that they would be two, is that they would be one. And that the five gifts were never supposed to be five individual different ministries functioning in different... But what if they were all supposed to be different, five different expressions of the one Christ and actually the fullness that the body was supposed to enter into couldn't reach its climax without every part playing its functioning role, not just in the five, but in all the gifts, you know? And so all of a sudden you can see that we don't, what, what we're talking about, you don't need each other for your lack, you need, you need each other for a greater fullness that he has in mind before the world ever was, you know? And yet, the, to me, the anatomy of the, what he has for the fivefold is exactly the same as his eternal purpose for marriage, as it is for fellowship between a brother, that the heartbeat is the same, it's, it's spiritual oneness. And so there's, there's multiple different physical expressions, but the same heartbeat. And so I think to me, that's why he leads in in Ephesians, he starts by talking about actually there's, you, have, you have one calling, one purpose, one hope, and let me tell you about five different expressions, five different gifts, but actually one ultimate calling, one purpose that the church was always supposed to be part of. Eh? So who has to get out of the way for what you've just heard to become a reality? Self. Self. See how I said it'll test you? So that's why the test is for oneness. If what you just heard is Sam describing Ephesians 4, you know, and the reality of the gifts, but also the outcome when the gifts are put together, four outcomes in God. 
but who gets in the way of that? Because that design has been present forever. It's us. Hence the need for a poor in spirit. Blessed are those who have fallen upon a rock, had their spiritual pride smashed, and now have a humble spirit, a poor in spirit. They've realized their need to fall on a rock. They've realized this thing that's getting in the way called self. And now, blessed are those people, for theirs is the kingdom. So now you can actually enter into this reality because you're not getting in the way of you. And you're not in the way of him. Because the design has always been there. And so this is the surrender and the submission through the relinquishing of your own life through his power and now you actually receive and then all those other being attitudes become yours. The first one defines all the other ones. So there's no way you can be um, offend- there's no way you can be pers- persecuted for righteousness and think it's great if you're not poor in spirit. You'll swing back. Okay? You can't be a son of God the way it intends and be a peacemaker if your spirit of pride is still there. You won't go there. Because you run the risk of getting your head lobbed off. But peacemakers don't care. They're already dead. And they're coming to bring peace. And so this is the tension. Because as beautiful as that was, there is massive resistance to what you just heard. Trust me. Massive resistance in God's people. Because you can't bring you. I look at um, when we look at the last verse, and um, you touched on it before, and the enemy wanting to destroy this oneness, what God, whatever God creates, you know, to show this picture of Him and this relationship He wants with us. And man and, and his wife were naked and not ashamed. You flick the page to Genesis chapter three, and it starts. Now the serpent was more crafty, and we know what happens. You know, one, it, you know. I don't know what the length of time was, but there, but it's you know the next verse, the enemy comes. You know they were not ashamed. They were together. They were in this place of perfect unity, oneness, harmony together. And then all of a sudden, the, the serpent comes. You know, and he's coming to steal, kill, and destroy. And I think of um, you know in Job. You know, we think of the, the story of Job. Here is a man living for God. You know, the Lord says, "Look at Job. You know, no man like him on the earth." So Tyson's like, oh, awesome. Let's have a go at him. So Job was demonstrating something yes. that then Satan wanted to test, you know, and he was, and was going to be tested. And the same thing will happen for us when we find this oneness and we find this thing. And you, you, can see, you see it in a marriage, you know, where you really invest. And, the, and um, the marriage is a beautiful environment. You know, the church is a beautiful environment for growth. It's a beautiful environment to be offended. But if we're not offended, like Greg was talking about, if we're people that don't take offence, you know, you can be hurt by what people say, but if you don't take that, you know, and you're able to just love, you'll overcome, you know, because offence can keep coming, keep coming, keep coming. You're not going to take it. Eventually, offence runs out. Eventually, offence is beaten, is broken down. So we need to be like him to be able to, Represent him like that. I think the most important thing in all of this is that all of what we're talking about is not physical. You know, we're using typologies of marriage, but we're talking about a spiritual oneness that's found in Christ. Hey, you know, and so I think really 
Yeah, anyway, no, let's, let's leave it there. All right, shall we move on to verse 22? The Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. The man said, now this is, uh, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh. Bursting. This, yeah, I mean, for me, uh, a while ago God spoke to me about Christ being revealed in the word and that he was going to show me these things of Christ being revealed in, in the word. And we know Christ is called the second Adam, you know, to come and restore what was done. And you see Adam here being laid out by God, put asleep, and having a wound put in his side, and part of him being taken out to fashion woman. And so we have a, we have a physical represent, representation of what's going to happen in the spirit with Christ being laid down, laying down his life. You know, being pierced on the side, rivers of living water, and the blood of the covenant being poured out of him. And then he's going to have this bride come, made of the spirit, not of the flesh, and to be joined in oneness with her. Uh, um, mine's not related to that, but I just... Just then, since the spirit just wanted me to say, like, if if you've had a marriage and it hasn't worked out, it's okay, mm-hmm. you know, because um, God is the great forgiver, the redeemer of things, and and what we're even talking about, you know, is like I had no understanding of this ten years ago, and so if we have an understanding of what we've been talking about, it redefines the whole covenant, and so. Knowledge is great when you have that, but if you don't have that knowledge, then you're living from the knowledge you have. And so God's working with us and he's restoring us. So I'd hate for someone, if you've had a marriage and it hasn't worked out, to feel condemned because it's not the point. The point is learn and grow and enter into And you might decide, look, I'm never going to get married again physically. You know, Awesome. <laughs> I'm not sure I would, to be honest, if actually anything happened to Danielle. I think I'm like, yeah, no, I'm cool. So, yeah, just sense the spirit, so I just needed to share that. Cool. All right. You want to pray for us? Yeah. Is there anyone questions? We're just going to stop talking now. It's quite a bit of meat. I'm learning, eh? He wanted to keep talking. I was like, no. Just capture that, capture that first time ever. <laughs> uh, I wanted to keep going. Greg just said, "No, that's enough, guys." <laughs> we are a church that encourages one another. Here. <laughs> yeah. Okay, Father, I thank you for who you are. 
I thank you for your life. I thank you for your design. I thank you that your love covers, your love builds, your love restores, your love reforms, and your love brings us into the reality of what you have for us. Lord, I just I thank you that you loved us before you even we even knew who you were. We thank you that you chose us for this incredible promise, this incredible uh, inheritance that is in the Son. And I pray, Lord, as we leave here tonight, as we seek, as we ask, as we knock, Lord, as we as we diligently seek and earnestly seek after, Lord, Father, I pray, and I know you will, you'll reveal the things that we've been dialogued about. Lord, I pray we would go and chew over and over and over and ask your Holy Spirit, Lord, through the hearing of this word, to bring to light and to life the mysteries of this kingdom that's been uttered, the utterances of heaven you say we're to utter, and we have tonight, Lord on behalf of you father we are ministers who are stewards of your mysteries and we bring them from the inside out as we have been revealed them and so father i just thank you for this opportunity to be together and to share you and release the fragrance of the knowledge of you into the earth father so lord give us ears to hear give us a heart that's attentive ears that are receptive to what you want to say what you've said tonight and we Go after this. We persevere, we press in, we lean in until we receive the revelation of all that you have for us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.